Is it getting stoned there? Huh? Got any grass there, Coke? Let's swap the little grass. Yeah? How would your father feel if he knew that you were here now? You won't tell him. Well, it depends. What do you think about that? A couple of very beautiful girls, huh? Come on, give us a break. C couldn't... Couldn't you just give us a warning for not having... for the taillight and let us go home? Well, you know, something to such beautiful girls like you. That could give you a warning. You want a warning? Well, here's the warning. You do something for me and I'll do something for you. What do you say about that? You want to kid yeah. say something funny? Let's give it a whirl. Let's give it a whirl. Yeah, she's got a good <laughs> intro. Uh, let her bust it out. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. Yes, it was almost. We are trying something video. new. I am. Uh, we're yeah, almost video. <laughs> we are recording through what is this system called? It's, it's called, called Riverside? Uh, Riverside FM. Basically, it's a podcast platform that's geared towards people that don't have the greatest internet connections and stuff because it records on. Uh, we should get paid for this plug. I feel like, but. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we really should. <laughs> well, it's cool because I had never heard of it. I had only heard of Zoom, and so the idea that you can record something and then uh, be cloud-based and not have to kind of record your yeah. phone is pretty damn cool. I don't think so. we ever successfully did a phone call one, did we? We tried to do it over uh, the phone. We one recorded time, a bunch of them. It, it didn't sound good though. Me and Eric, me and Eric recorded a phone one before, and I'm pretty sure me and Justin recorded one during uh, during Zoom. But yeah, this will be the first like internet kind of one just to kind of test it out and see how it works out that can now this way in case we're not in the same exact location at all times or i can record a pod with eric when he's up north it'll work well so or we have so how's pandemic. your week been so far it's been pretty good yeah i talked to justin a little bit and uh mission impossible was absolutely incredible you should definitely uh not that you're going to rush to the theater to see anything but yeah, well. you would definitely enjoy it since you love the last one so I didn't watch that much stuff. Like, I'm going to Oppenheimer on uh, Friday to see how that is. And uh, next week there's a great horror movie called Talk to Me coming out. Uh, but other than that, I just watched a couple movies that I'll, I'll talk about uh, real quick before we get into the big movie, which we're going to be talking about Bad Lieutenant today. <laughs> I was telling it's Justin, a Disney said, this production. is one of the perfect podcasts. Yeah, totally Disney production. This is one of those great examples of this might be the best podcast to listen to because it's the movie that no one wants to watch, so you can just hear us talk about it instead of uh, instead of uh, needing therapy yourself. I never did see the remake. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't really a remake. It was a sequel. Uh-huh. It was uh, the port of New Orleans. Uh, Bad Lieutenant Port of New Orleans with, uh, what's his name, Nick Cage. I own it. It was all right. It was Nick Cage, and it was, uh, what do you call it, um, Val Kilmer was in it. It's one of his last movies that he did before he had his voice problems. And it was decent enough to own it, I think, but <clears throat> I'm not sure. Uh, it's definitely not as good as the first one. And we should mention before I get into like uh, the movies I watched this week, uh, if you're watching it on Tubi, which is obviously this is a Tubi Tuesday, you're gonna you're gonna end up watching the edited version of it. I didn't realize it until I got about 20 minutes into it, until the first fucked up scene came up, and I was like, <laughs> oh shit, they they cut the hell out of this thing. And then I, I pulled my DVD out. Luckily, I have the old Artisan DVD. 
and uh, I, I was able to watch it uncut. So I'll be able to tell you, even if you haven't watched the uncut version, I'll tell you what you missed when we talk about it. But uh, two movies that I watched this week that I thought were uh, that I watched Dead uh, Dead Alive. Do you remember Dead Alive? I, I think I do. What, what did it make on your list? Did it, is it a good one? Is it? A- it was. Uh, yeah. Well, it made my it made my very good list okay. actually, just because of all the the blood and the gore and the comedy. It was one of those early Peter Jackson movies. Do you remember he did Meet the Feebles, Dead Alive, Meet the Feebles, and still Bad Taste, and they day. were all yeah. And it's just like that. Oh, I mean, obviously not just like that. It doesn't have puppets in it, but it's got... Peter Jackson has, like, a weird sense of humor that he uses in a lot of his early horror movies. It would be really nice to see him go back to that since he's been just been shoveling money <laughs> out of his house because he's got so much of it. Did he do Dark Crystal? No, Dark Crystal was Henson. Oh, okay. It, uh, the other puppet Yeah, guy. that was, like, the darkest Jim Henson kind of... Um, the other puppet guy. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen Meet the Feebles, it, it might be worth uh, checking out a couple of clips because <laughs> no. it is weird and is raunchy, and it is like puppets shooting up and pu- puppets uh, doing like weird sex shit, and it is kind of wild for sure. <laughs> but Dead Alive is kind of a more tame but wild horror movie. It was notoriously known for using like gallons and gallons of blood, and there's one famous scene at the end where he's fighting this main guy in this uh, kind of huge house is fighting these zombies, and he comes walking in with a uh, lawnmower, and he just holds the lawnmower upright in front of him and just kind of takes out all the zombies that way. So it was, it was fun to rewatch it and everything. The other movie I rewatched that also made my very good list that I thought was really good that I'm not sure if you've heard of, it's called The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. It's an old movie? Yeah, it was uh, probably 1967. Yeah, I have it. And it was Alan Arkin. It was Alan Arkin and Carl Reiner. And basically, Russians had, like, in a submarine, had gone aground right off the coast of, like, Martha's Vineyard. And this is a comedy. And so a group of, uh, of the Russian sailors t- uh, took a boat and went to shore. And their idea was they needed to get a bigger boat to bring it out to the, uh, to the bay and be able to push their submarine. Out. Yeah, they're going to push their submarine out towards the water and everything. And that's when all the comedy ensues. Basically, the whole movie is like he, he encounters Kyle Reiner first, him and his crew to go to Kyle Reiner's house. And they kind of kidnap him and tie him up and ask where the boats are in town. And they tell him where it is and everything. But at that point, it becomes like a game of telephone. Like, instead of five Russian soldiers have come ashore to to steal a boat. It's become the Russians have already taken the airport <laughs> <laughs> type of thing. And it's this, it's all this, t- the townsmen who have been waiting for like uh, their old, like uh, almost uh, civil war guys or early world war one guys who are just dying to fight again. And they're all grabbing their long guns and going out. And it's, it's really, really funny. I thought it was great. So uh, I've been trying to revisit a couple of the Alan Arkin ones from back in the day since we just lost him. But uh, That's on it's Tubi? a good one if anyone can find the Russian. Uh, I don't know, sure if it's on Tubi. It was on, in the stack of DVDs that I've been trying to work my way through that I just kind of bought and haven't seen. But it, uh, I had heard good stuff about it, and I know when he died recently, it was one of the major ones they mentioned, that and the uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Because uh, that, I think he was nominated for The Russians Are Coming, but he actually won for The Little Miss Sunshine. So, yeah, those are my two movies because I haven't been, I had a couple rewatches this week. I was telling Justin I rewatched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I rewatched the uh, the original T 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for some reason. Uh, and the animated one? Luckily, those still hold up. <laughs> yeah, no, the, uh, the, the suit one, you know, from 1990, oh, when they were okay. all in yeah, those yeah, kind yeah. of cool rubber suits that oddly still hold up. Th- those suits are pretty badass. Uh, I was even saying to my girl, I was like, they could make this right now with them wearing these suits, and it would be fine. Uh, people would be really cool with it. I mean, they're about to re—they're about to release an animated movie for that. Actually, it's crazy how this silly little silly little characters from a tiny little comic book took on this crazy life oh. and universe and a universal adoration. It's crazy. Oh, you got that right. It, it surprises me every. Um, they keep trying to reboot it. They keep trying to bring new stuff out. It, the toys, everything. It, it's a generation of kids from the '90s who absolutely loved it. Like I was, I was in the tail end of it, so I did like it, but I didn't have like an admiration of it. Like my friend Jay, my friend Jay, it's it's like his obsession so much so that at Eric's toy shop, he's in charge of all the Ninja Turtle stuff. Like anytime Eric, Eric has a vast knowledge of a whole bunch of different toys, but anytime he needs turtle knowledge, he calls Jay. Or anytime he needs Star uh, old Star Wars knowledge, he uh, texts me. Like I'm constantly getting whose weapon does this go to uh, type texts. Like he could do the research for it and it'd take him a while, but he knows I can look at the the weapon in a second and tell you that it's uh, Lando Calrissian's uh, skiff thing from the Return of the Jedi. So my, that's my talent. What's yours? <laughs> My brother-in-law Mike is pretty sure that he had the original first edition. He was it, huge into underground comics and wanted to move to California and write his own comic book with his or draw. I think he was nice. going to do the draw, and the other guy was going to do the storylines. But uh, that would have been worth some money. What? Which one? He had the first edition of what? The Ninja Turtles? Yeah, the original Ninja Turtles, the, the black and white one. Yeah, and that was a that was a short run too. Like the, it's easy to get like the second and third, even the second and third print for that uh, Teenage Mutant Turtles number one. It goes for crazy amounts of money. But the first one, the first one only had like maybe a three thousand uh, or a three thousand. That might even be a lot. It might even be more like a thousand print runs. So if you can find one of the original first print Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's worth a lot of money. They're extra size, which pissed me off always as a comic book collector because I couldn't put them in any of my boxes. I had to yeah. kind of like carry it outside. Like we had like a, when we were doing the collecting, I think we had a number two, but we never did have a number one, I don't think. Yeah. All right. I say we get into some Big Lieutenant because I have some really fun trivia on this movie. As you, uh, I say Big Lieutenant? Yeah. Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> And uh, I've got some really great trivia on this. Why don't you give us kind of the logline synopsis of what Bad Lieutenant is? If, uh, okay, Bad Lieutenant is my origin story if I had become a cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope there's a couple minor things. There's in a there few things I would have left out. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a few things. I just, I, I, I'm fascinated with bad cops for some reason like to have authority and power and yeah. yet do some devious things so the whole movie is follows harvey Keitel as he's just being he's a he's a detective but in name only he's like he's a criminal drug addict oh, absolutely and you just follow his weak span they kind of i liked how they kind of tracked it towards this imaginary uh dodgers mets game in the World Series. Yeah, how fun was that? I had to, I saw that in the trivia, and I looked it up afterwards, and I was like, wow, that Abel Ferreira just kind of made up this fictional uh, 
baseball game. Like these, those two teams had met many times before, but not in the scenario that he's building here. And he, it basically, he's he's almost devising that big Red Sox New York Yankees game that hadn't happened yet, obviously in '92. But that's kind of how it was that no one had come back from a playoff game when they were down three to zip. And I'm so glad I watched that Red Sox. It was fun to see it. I'm so glad I followed that. Series. Yeah, that was one of those. That was great. That was like one of those life moments that uh, it, you you remember where you are when you saw it. You remember where they were when they won it. It's like that first. Uh, Patriots uh, win against the Rams uh, was like a big thing, and then after that, everyone after that was like, "Oh, they won again." Okay, <laughs> it was such a big deal. I'll know how this is. It was such a big deal that I don't even remember the World Series. Like, I don't even remember anything about the World Series except. Oh, really? It. I only remember the the Yankees Red Sox, the AL AL. That is true. I mean, it was all ab- it was all about that build up for it. That made it good. Well, and that's what made this kind of uh, exciting, too, because you're watching Harvey Keitel. Like you said, he, he's a bad lieutenant in almost every aspect of his life and his his career. And he does this. He, he is obsessed with kind of uh, not losing the bet, so he just keeps re-upping on the bet, which makes it kind of cringeworthy for us because we know it's not going to turn out well for him. <laughs> but before we get into, like, the pl- kind of plot synopsis, I want to talk a little bit about the cast, and the, and the cast and the crew is pretty simple on this. The trivia is the kind of the most interesting part, because this movie is pretty notorious. It's NC-17. This is 1992, where it was not, like, real kind of popular yet to to release an indie movie that had such kind of uh, 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 sex and violence and just kind of fucked up shit involved in it. And Harvey Keitel dived right into it. I mean, God bless him. So... Harvey Keitel, what was your, what do you think your probably your first thing to see that you saw Harvey Keitel in was probably what, Taxi Driver, would you say, back in the day? Yeah, he was the, he was Jodie Foster's pimp, right? Yeah, yeah, he had the long hair. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's just to list off some of Harvey Keitel's, or some of his early stuff, I mean, we really got to know him with Reservoir Dogs, for sure. And that Reservoir Dogs was, I think, this was around the same time. Reservoir Dogs might have been like 92 also. Uh, so just to give you a list of Harvey's stuff. So he started with Mean Streets, and we definitely saw Mean Streets, but I think both of us probably saw it a little later than when it came out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember seeing it in the 80s. Do you remember seeing uh-huh. Mean Streets in the 80s? Yeah, I think it was the 90s. I think after Goodfellas, everyone went back and rewatched Mean Streets after that or watched it for the first time. So Harvey was known for Mean Streets. He did Taxi Driver. He did Mother Jugs and Speed, which is a famous 70s movie. It's got such an interesting title, Mother Jugs and Speed. <laughs> oh, what the hell? It, I know it's got Cosby in it, is and it deals movie? with, like, race car drivers and shit. No, it does sound like it, though. <laughs> it's that Mother Jugs. <laughs> it's that Mother Jugs line that's really confusing. So it, I've seen a lot of 70s movies, and I haven't seen that. I'll have to go back and try to find it. Uh, he was in Blue Collar, which is that movie that I got you that I really mm-hmm. like with uh, Richard Pryor and Yafat Koto. He was in Apocalypse Now. Do you remember him in Apocalypse Now? Mm-hmm. No, no, I, no. I think it was just like a walk-on, like little background character that uh, Coppola put him in. But he, it's under his filmography as Apocalypse Now. Strange enough, Saturn Three, which I watched, I just watched a few months ago. That was really interesting with Farrah Fawcett, Kurt uh, Douglas. And Harvey Keitel, and it reminded me of that Moon movie with uh, Sam Rockwell. Oh, really? uh, but Harvey Keitel played a robot, and he was like a robot who was on board uh, the ship, and the only other two people on the ship were me. Kurt Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. And, uh, he, yeah, he was like a shady robot. This was early on, but it was a very early take for him. 
Then he went on to do Wise Guys, which I actually talked with Justin last week. That's that Danny DeVito uh, Piscopo movie. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ he was in with Scorsese, obviously. And uh, he played Judas Iscariot. That was like his start. He's like, I'm just going to play assholes from way back in the history to modern. Uh, then he did the the two Jakes, uh, Thelma and Louise, Bugsy, and when Reservoir Dogs hit, that's when everyone started to to recognize Harvey Keitel. But he had a whole life of stuff ahead of him. He was nicest character was probably his character in Reservoir Dogs. He was the you know like yeah he really believed he was the legit he really had empathy for Tim Roth's character. You could see it. Oh yeah, and he he kind of had like unlike. Buscemi, who is like, we just need to, to kill everyone and get the hell out of here or, or don't stay here type of thing. I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in a while. I have to revisit that. Now, the uh, one of the main girls in the in uh, Bad Lieutenant, the girl that he does, that he shoots up with, mm-hmm. is called Zoe Lund. You know who that is? That's that MS-45 yeah, girl. she was... She Did you know she she co-wrote this? Yeah, she co-wrote it. She co-wrote this And movie. She, she died... Oh, yeah. He died really young like from heroin overdose. No, cocaine. Uh, oh, was it cocaine? She did right. heroin but, a lot. That's why she was she in that scene. She did heroin in the movie. Yeah. That, that was her really shooting up yeah. heroin. <laughs> That's like she was a heroin addict, of... and she talked openly about it, and then she switched. In the 90s, she switched to cocaine, and uh, I don't think a heroin heart can take a, a decade worth of cocaine usage. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading it here. It said she died in 1999 of heart failure with from excessive cocaine use and delayed medical care. Yeah, that's somebody that's just held up doing drugs and not going to see the doctor. Uh, so another guy in this is Victor Argo. Victor Argo is somebody that you would recognize immediately if you saw him. He played a lot of low-level gangsters and stuff. Uh, what I re- remember him most is from Quick Change. Remember when Bill, uh, Bill Murray and the guys accidentally walked into that... Uh, that uh, gangster kind of meeting where uh, Stanley Tucci is, and he's like, "This ain't my dick in your back." Uh, no, I don't. He was that he part. was kind of the main gangster in the room. He was also one of the main gangsters in True Romance that w- that busted into the room with all the guns at the end uh, when they were doing the deal with uh, Balky. Okay, <laughs> but he had been in main. He had been in Mean Streets, Taxi Driver. After he was a big Scorsese guy. He was in Raw Deal. He was Last Temptation of Christ, Her Alibi, King of New York, which is another amazing, um, uh, what's it, Abel Ferrara movie. And uh, the only other crew member in this uh, or cast member that people might know is Paul Calderon. And, and the way I get usually most people to know Paul Calderon is he's the guy from Pulp Fiction that says, hey, my, he's the bartender yeah, that yeah, says, yeah. hey, my name's Paul and this is between you all. Well, you remember him really well from Copland probably yeah. too. He was amazing in Copland. He was the one that called out, uh, what's his name, for planting the gun. And then he ended up grabbing the gun and tossing it over the bridge at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh, man, he was so good in that. Uh, he was also in Sea of Love, Q&A, King of New York, uh, The Firm, Pulp Fiction, obviously, The Addiction which I'll talk about in a second here because that's another Abel Ferrara movie. And then he was in uh, Kiss of Death, which is another random Nick Cage movie that I, I'm always surprised that a lot of people haven't seen. Do you remember that, the one is, with David Caruso? Is that the one where he didn't like metal in his mouth? Yeah, that's right. He didn't like the metal spoons in his mouth. And uh, he, he would have to ask for plastic silver when he was in the joint and everything. It was really cool. So as far as the crew goes, Abel Ferreira is the director. Now, Abel Ferreira is a very New York director. He's a very uh, somewhat like Cassavetes, except he pushes the envelope way more than Cassavetes. 
he, he kind of pushes the envelope a little bit towards the Lars von Trier, but not. Lars von Trier goes way over. If, if there's a if there's a ledge, Abel Ferrer will will sit on the edge a ledge, and uh, Lars von Trier has already jumped off that ledge hours ago. Type of this deal. had a lot of gorilla <laughs> style to it. This movie in particular. Oh yeah, they didn't have permission to film anywhere for this movie. They jumped out and they filmed like the scene where Harvey Cottel went into the nightclub. It was him and the camera guy. They just went into the nightclub. They filmed. If they got yelled at or told to leave, they just jump in the car and they go to another location. I mean, this is and this was pretty far into uh, Abel Ferrer's career. Abel Ferrer had. It's not like it's his first movie. Do like, you think uh, that was more? He wanted that feel, though, right? Because he could have. Couldn't he have raised the money to oh, yeah. do, it, he wanted, do it the right way, or the? The Hollywood way, not to be honest with you. I, he was so indie, and he was trying okay. to cut corners like the Corman way. But I think he was smart enough as that's a all. So the Dupree Productions way, by the way. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> we were doing the Abel Ferrer way. Yes. Yeah, I, I think as far as uh, with the way Abel Ferrer works, I think he is stylistic enough to realize. Uh, yeah, I'll save money doing this, but uh, this will also look good. <laughs> yeah. I, I got another example where I where I know exactly, it, but it's it's the last scene of the movie. So when we get there, I'll talk about like the gorilla, oh, okay. gorilla style of the last scene, if you remind me. <laughs> so other movies that maybe the more the mainstream people that would know probably his most mainstream movie, and it's still pretty indie, is King of New York. That's the Christopher Walken movie. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's with also with Caruso and everything, and it, it's a good mob movie. Uh, but he's also known for the Driller Killer, which I actually own and I haven't watched. MS-45, which you and me kind of always knew from the Terror in the Isles movie. It was a kind of a really messed up kind of uh, uh, woman getting raped and then her getting her uh, revenge uh, for getting raped. Uh, Fear City, which I watched recently uh, over the last year, which I really loved. Which I told that? you about it. It's the one with Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith plays a stripper and Tom Berenger okay. and... Uh, What's his name? Lando Carizian are in it, and uh, it's a it's a really uh, good kind of Did you just uh, forget Billy nasty name? movie that he made. Yeah, Billy D. Williams. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I call him Lando all day long. He's always Lando to me. Uh, but then he did the, one of the last movies that he, I I'm pretty sure Abel Ferrer is still doing little minor movies, but one of the last bigger movies that he did was called The Addiction, and it's super hard to find. It's actually on my list to get my uh, my girl who does the bootleg uh, DVDs done. And it's a vamp. It's a black and white vampire movie with Lily Taylor and Christopher Walken, and it's all like vamp- low-level vampires. It's almost like uh, Innocent Blood if Innocent Blood wasn't funny, and if it was in black and white. <laughs> That's kind of the best way to describe it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as far as writers, like you said, Zoe Lund and Abel Ferrara wrote this together. The uh, cinematographer, these are all Abel Ferrara guys. You, you can't kind of have this kind of film style and not have like a cinematographer and a composer that you kind of bring with you from movie to movie. So his cinematographer is Ken Kellish, who is known for, like I said, The Dirtle Killer, Bad Lieutenant, Dangerous Game, which is also an Abel Ferrara movie. I think Madonna's in that. Or maybe I'm confusing that with that other uh, Willem Dafoe movie. Uh, and The Addiction. Joe Delia was the composer, and he did the score for Driller Killer, MS-45, King of New York, Bad Lieutenant, Dangerous Game, and The Addiction. So yeah, like I said, he just kind of sticks with his main crew. Now, the release date, December 17th, 1992. Nothing says uh, Merry Christmas like the Bad Lieutenant. (laughs) How the fuck they released this (laughs) a week before Christmas is hilarious to me. I mean, there's already a built-in audience of, like... As soon as the first headline went up that this was a fucked up movie, there was people like, oh, I got to see that. I mean, there's that group of people. Oh, yeah. 
Abel Ferreira has his crew, like Lars von Trier. And I will, as fucked up as he is, and as kind of uh, questionable it is, is with his uh, discussions that he does at uh, film festivals and stuff. Anytime I hear that a Lars von Trier movie comes out, I'm gonna watch it because he's just gonna. I, I'm at the point in my movie career that I like to be surprised or shocked occasionally with what I see and what I hear. And those guys, you can never, uh, you you know, you're gonna get something new out of it every time. Uh, so, filming locations, obviously, all over New York. The budget was $1 million, and the worldwide gross was surprisingly $2 million. Uh, so, he did make money off this, surprisingly. It, it's definitely one of those things that you go into knowing that you're you're probably not going to make a whole shitload of money. Well, Keith, we've talked about this before. I don't believe in those numbers. You Worldwide box office gross means nothing nowadays. All the money is made afterwards. I mean, it is. So, it's like... It is. It's... It, it's kind of weird it's, I'm not it's, sure what it's gonna make money for that. for somebody and for the rest of eternity you know it's yeah i mean they cut deals to get the the dvd deals when they when it went to I, this was an artisan release which artisan if no one knows back in the day they took up all the if it wasn't Lionsgate, it was artisan those guys picked up all the uh the releases i remember artisan did suicide kings they did pie they did a lot of those like really well-known actor or directors' first movies and shit. If so, we had started uh, a yeah, decade later, we would our stuff would have got oh, picked yeah. up a lot. We, one, we would have had camera or a decade or, or a decade earlier, or a decade earlier. I, I think one of each of those would probably be a be a good thing. We we kind of fell in that weird place where Netflix had just started streaming and people didn't know what to do with indie movies at that point. It was weird. Uh, <clears throat> so. I'm just going to list off some of the trivia, and we can talk about some of them. So Abel and the crew were not permitted in most of the locations they filmed. Uh, like I said, in the nightclub scene, Harvey was just sent in with a camera operator. This is one of my best, my favorite trivia scenes, and it, it really disappoints me that this scene was not filmed. So in the trivia on IMDb, they talk about an unfilmed scene. Oh, the electronic store scene? Ta- yeah, how crazy is that? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to list this to people that don't know, because this sounds like the coolest scene in the world, and I wish they had uh, filmed it. So at some point, Abel had planned on having Harvey Keitel rob an electronics store, then leave, and then when he leaves, he gets a call about a robbery at an electronics store, obviously the one he just robbed, and then he responds, he goes back in in an official capacity because the guy doesn't recognize him because he wore a mask. He takes a statement, he walks out, and he throws the statement in the garbage. I think that's so incredible. That would have been my favorite scene from the entire movie if they had actually filmed that scene. You don't think they was, filmed it? it you just don't so think it made brilliant. the movie? No, I. it said it was an unfilmed scene. Okay. Abel Ferreira at like a film festival or like a uh, some uh, viewing of the movie where he did a uh, discussion afterwards, he talks about it. And he says that it's weird that it was unfilmed because th- he says that's the easiest way to uh, explain bad lieutenant in like a nutshell of the type of guy he is that he would go and do something like that but it's actually pretty brilliant uh that he would could do something like that so harvey keitel stayed in character throughout production that must have been enjoyable for everybody (laughs) (laughs) uh so part of the plot was inspired by a real rape of two nuns in uh, new york city convent and apparently uh people were so shocked about it that they started throwing money at the ransom to find these guys 
and, and it's an interesting take because in the in the movie, Harvey Keitel actually says, you know, people women are raped all the time, and just because these women are wearing penguin suits, everyone's flipping out. And you, you can kind of agree with him on that in a point, but there is something weird about a nun being raped that you almost want to solve the crime. I mean, faster. this is a person, even if you don't believe in their religion, they believe in their religion, and so they're giving their life to that yeah, religion. It, it's like... It's kind of crazy that they were like, all right, we got a nun who was raped or we have like a streetwalker that was raped. Who we, whose case are we going to solve first? Obviously, it's going to be the nun. Uh, so at one point, Christopher Walken was going to play the lieutenant because Walken had worked with Farrar already in, uh, in King of New York. And I could see Walken in it, but it would have been a totally different type of movie, in my opinion. Uh, like I had said, Zoe Lund really shot up heroin in the movie. Uh, Robert Ebert loved the movie, gave severely high praise to Harvey Keitel, which is weird because uh, Roger Ebert, he, he, some things would stick in his craw and he would be, uh, well, Roger Ebert, actually, this was pretty spot on for Roger Ebert to like. I'm thinking uh, Siskel. Siskel was kind of a, yeah, Siskel was really kind of a, uh, kind of a fuddy-duddy, if I can use an old term for him, and he didn't like anything that was kind of this risque, so it makes sense that this would be more of an Ebert love than a Siskel uh, love. <laughs> Uh, so this is disturbing because we're going to be talking about this scene in depth, and you'll know why this is disturbing soon. It says, one of the women in the car scene was Harvey Keitel's nanny <laughs> that took care of his kids. Because it's a fucked up scene in the car that we're going to talk about a little bit. But Abel Ferreira even recalled saying, uh, you sure you want to do this with your babysitter? And Harvey Keitel responded, yeah, I want to try something out. <laughs> Oh, fuck <laughs> uh, so Martin Scorsese has said that the film is one of his top ten films of the 1990s, and uh, several directors have come out and say it. it, it it's really kind of a ballsy movie. Uh, Abel Ferrer was furious uh, with the Bad Lieutenant sequel. Uh, you want to know how much fucked up? It was actually a brilliant. Well, piece he had of nothing to do with it, right? He... In, in, he had nothing to do with it. Do you know who directed the sequel? Uh-oh. It's uh, Abel Ferreira's uh, long-last brother from another mother, mother Werner Herzog. Okay. <laughs> it's actually a perfect bit of directing because Werner Herzog directs fucked-up yeah. movies. So it is actually pretty brilliant, but apparently there's no love between Abel Ferreira and Werner Herzog because uh, he says as far as remakes, this is, this is a pretty strong statement by uh, Abel Ferreira, uh, when someone asked him about the remake, he says, "As far as remakes go, I wish uh, I wish these people die in hell. I hope they all are all in the same streetcar and that streetcar blows up." <laughs> <laughs> what do you really feel? Uh, so, yeah, how do you, how do you really feel? <laughs> yeah, don't hold back, Abel. Tell me what you really feel about it. It says uh, in a 2012 interview, Abel admitted to using drugs during the making of the film, saying the director of that film needed to be using. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the, like you said, the baseball series and the game and the commentary in the film were all fictional. Uh, and the last bit of trivia here, Blockbuster refused to stock the film because of the NC-17 rating, and that is where they made uh, an R-rated cut, specifically for them to be able to put it in the video stores. And my guess is that's the one that was available on, um, on Tubi. It's that still a messed watched. up movie. With the, with, uh, it's still a messed up movie. You watched the Tubi version, I'm yeah. assuming? Did you remember the original version, the uncut version? Okay. Because, yeah, there's two major scenes were cut to shit. And you could kind of understand it, but you can also, to, to the modern audiences, I mean, it, it's really not a big thing that, they, that these scenes were cut. I mean, for 1992 version uh, audiences, I can understand it. It's probably a little bit more extreme for them. So basically what we're dealing with with the movie is... You, 
Harvey Keitel is on this journey of all the fucked up shit he does, basically. You know, I mean, is that a good, That's a good <laughs> example of it? Yeah. It, it's an assessment of it. He's just, we're seeing him from, he's doing his job, but along the way, he is he's a heavy drug user, a heavy uh, a- like alcohol all the drugs, right? user. Yeah, all the drugs. He doesn't give a shit. He is like, given up on life, basically. And he's also in debt big time. Well, at the beginning of the movie, he's only in debt $15,000. But the problem is, on this fictional game we keep hearing about, is he keep betting on the Mets yeah. or is he betting on the Dodgers? No, he keeps betting. I think he keeps betting on the Dodgers to win. Or, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's betting on the Dodgers to win. It, it's confusing because when you're watching the video, they have. It, I think Strawberry is with the Dodgers at this point in the uh, in the game because they keep showing uh, clips of the game and they're showing Daryl Strawberry in like a uh, in like a Los Angeles Dodgers outfit and I'm just not used to seeing that especially when the movie takes the place with them playing uh, playing the Mets yeah he must have because he's in the uh, in the movie they show him in a Dodgers outfit at at the plate I was like what the hell I was like I'm used to him being a Mets guy but he must have gone to the Dodgers later in his career but. Uh, so we can just cut through and, and, and talk about some of the more fucked up scenes in, involved in this movie, too. Because, like I said, he keeps making these deals with the mob. He keeps double his money. He loses that first 15000 He has a great scene where he meets with a guy into in a bar. And, and he says, I want to I re-up it, bet, put it all on the Dodgers to win the next game. And, he, and the guy keeps telling me, are you sure? These guys will come to your house and kill you and your family. I think Training Day took some of the elements from this movie, too. For sure, that is a pretty good uh, comparison. For sure, with the the uh, he wasn't as a Alonzo, uh, character. No, he definitely wasn't a degenerate as a degenerate. But he he was fucked up in the way where you didn't know what he was going to do and how he made kind of people uncomfortable. The first scene that really comes to mind, and they didn't cut this in the Tubi version because obviously it wasn't too fucked up, but was with the uh, the two guys that were robbing the convenience store. You remember that scene? Yeah. And he, he sends. Does he send the clerk outside when he does this? He tell he sends the clerk outside. This is the one of the two scenes and, that I don't remember. I remember the outcome of it, but I don't like remember the movements and stuff during the scene. So he's screaming at these two guys. The the Asian uh, clerk is screaming. Those guys stole money. He's like, "How much did they steal? They stole five hundred dollars from the thing." And he's like, "Where's the money?" And they're not saying where the money is. And Harvey Keitel takes his gun out and fires in the fucking store. And screams at the guys, "Where's the fucking money?" And he sends the uh, the guys out of. He sends the clerk out of the store, and he points the gun at the uh, guy. And he might even shoot again. And the guys are scared so shitless at this uh, rogue cop that's like firing in the store at him that they fork the money over. And then he and then he robs them of his of their drugs too. <laughs> And this, and then he just leaves the store. And the next scene, we see him with like Zoe Lund shooting up in, a, in her house and everything. He keeps going back to Zoe Lund's house uh, to shoot up heroin to do whatever he, he needs to do. But the the big kind of plot of the movie, like I had mentioned earlier, is the uh, the rape and the uh, the rape of this one nun. And that's where I realized that I was watching the edited version because they showed like a quick flash of it. It was almost like such a, and you watched it, it must have been even weirder for you because the, the flash of that rape of the nun must have lasted like three seconds and that was it. And you were like, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. They, they just put enough in there where you could see that there was some sort of assault, but you couldn't tell. 
it was definitely more explicit. They didn't show a whole lot, but they definitely showed. So these two guys... There was no question which scene they were going to take out of this movie if they were going to take anything out to get the R rating. I mean, this yeah, is what well, got the, the, two scenes, the NC-17 rating. This and the scene with the two girls in the car. Because the, two, the scene with the two girls in the car, for me, was arguably even more fucked up. Uh, but the nun scene, obviously, they, they showed them throw this nun on an altar. And in the uncut version... <laughs> Pulled her, pulled her nun outfit. If you're off. looking to go, how to go straight to hell when you die, this is. If, if you're listening out, oh there, yeah, yeah, this is this <laughs> in an altar in a church directly to hell. This this will do it for you for sure. Because they they in the uncut version they they didn't hold back. They show him throw their uh, these kids through their her uh, nun outfit up. We see pubic hair. They flip her over. We see them grab like this weird chalice chalice like uh kind of like how the holy grail type of thing is off the thing and they show it in such a way where you can tell that they're they're like force raping her with the chalice i mean it it wasn't even just like a wham bam let's get the fuck out of here they like basically kind of uh torture rape this this poor nun on the uh on the altar and then left her and then just left and these guys were a couple junkies we do get to see them later on and and somewhat of a rewarding scene, but not really. There's a uh, trivia about this scene. I don't know if you found it, but they they were so cognizant of not wanting to desecrate the altar. They covered the whole thing is covered in plastic wrap. The whole altar oh, and everything. So when you see them spray paint the altar, they're spray painting the plastic wrap on top of it. Uh, so Abel Ferrara wanted to go to uh, the light version of hell. Yeah, purgatory. <laughs> Maybe I'll just go through purgatory. <laughs> Maybe I'll just go to purgatory for a while. Uh, <laughs> but St. Peter, I covered the altar. Come on, give me a Come break. On. <laughs> Come on. And uh, almost even d- more disturbing is Harvey Keitel goes to the uh, goes to the hospital to, and he, he kind of listens into the uh, the nun being questioned and uh, kind of realizing what's happening and everything. And then it becomes like lore between the other cops. Did you hear this nun was was raped? And Harvey Keitel is kind of flippant with it, which pisses off every other cop in there. He, he doesn't have many friends in the force, as you could might imagine. I'm not sure he has one friend in the force, really. I mean, he's got a couple guys that he talks to, but I'm not sure you would consider them friends. So at this point, everyone in the city is kind of looking for these two guys. But during that whole thing, he, he still is going around. There's almost an element of uncut gems into this movie, mm-hmm. too, do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with Where that. It, it, that whole element of uh, he's just making things worse, like Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems, not only is doing more bets and more bets, but he's just making his situation worse. He's not making any friends. He's making en- he, the few friends he's has. He's making enemies. His wife thinks he's a piece of shit, uh, and it, it's very similar to this type of character. That, I mean, this was also the time period where Harvey Keitel had no problem taking his clothes off on camera, mm-hmm. and which wasn't doing anybody and the viewers. Did they show the nude scene in this movie, or was no. that cut also? They did show it. Or they, they did didn't? not. Oh, okay, so that's weird. They did show, because once I saw that this was the uncut version, I just put my DVD version on, so I don't even know what they left in afterwards. There's a scene where he gets just completely piss-ass drunk in his apartment. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Zoe Lund's apartment or if it's his own, but he takes all his clothes off, and he's just, he's just like, kind of backlit and got an empty bottle of Jack in his hand, and he's completely nude, just, uh, just showing off all his goods. 
Because remember, at the same time, he had done that piano movie, and he was nude in that movie, too. I'm like, what the fuck is Harvey Keitel doing? He's just, he's like Maria one of those unattractive guys that just doesn't. Oh, the piano? The yeah. one with, uh, what's no, her name? Holly uh, yeah. Hunter? Uh-huh. I don't even know if I remember it. I think I've seen it once, and I might not even have made it all the way through. I might have to revisit it. That's interesting. That's her, one of her favorite movies. It's her favorite movie or no, one, one of them? one of it. She, every time I bring it up, she always is like, yeah, I really like that movie. I don't even know what the premise is. Do you know what the premise is? Is she like a mute no. girl that lives in the woods, they, or is that Nell? I always confuse Nell. Nell is the mute girl that lives in the woods. Piano is Harvey Keitel moves like to like... Somebody's like a missionary or something, and they actually move to this place and like they abandon her piano in the surf and she doesn't get to play it anymore it's very sad it's a little girl the little girl i don't know who the little girl i'm pretty is. sure the little girl won the oscar for it it's the girl from true blood uh that uh damn what what else was she in that she was really good in uh but i remember her oscar win because she went up there and she was like speechless and she was like super cute i think she was nine years old she was she won i think uh, before her the earliest win was like that paper moon girl um, but the piano won a whole bunch of awards, but I don't think I saw it, so I might have to go back and rewatch. Especially if uh, I know somebody that's saying it's one of their uh, one of their favorite she, movies. So. It, yeah. I think she I definitely likes it for its like like pseudo love story or an- not love story. I think there's a lot of tragedy yeah. in the story too, so it's a very moving story. So if you're into, that. I mean, you're a huge Jodie Foster fan. I'm sure sh- I'm sure you loved it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Jodie Foster fan. You did, you got it all wrong. Uh, is she still doing the same thing though where she's she only does a movie like once every five years I don't think she's done a movie since that Hotel Artemis hmm. and, and that was like five years ago it, it, I her really whole liked career her is movie. like that I think she I think she just enjoys life you know she just uh, she just makes a movie she pockets the money she goes and does her thing and then every once in a while when she needs more money she does a movie or something sounds perfect or if someone brings her to it I don't know yeah, it sounds great to me. I'm fine with that. Do that for me, please. <laughs> so, yeah, Harvey Keitel was super popular at that time. So let's talk about the uh, the car scene because it is one of the more memorable scenes in the movie, and I knew it was going to get cut. Like, I didn't turn off the Tubi version when the nun thing happened, even though I was like – immediately I, I was like, wow, they didn't show that nun scene. I'm pretty sure – they showed more of that in the version I saw. Maybe it's going to be in flashbacks or something. So I held on a little while. And then when the car scene came up, I was like, oh, now this will definitely tell me if this movie is cut or not. And it did. So <clears throat> at one point, it just cuts away. And it, it, they don't even tell you what happens in the, in the scene. I guess whoever was cutting the scene said, ah, we, they'll infer to what it meant. They should have just left that whole scene out of there altogether. But it, it would probably make more sense. So Harvey Keitel is completely fucked up, and for some reason he pulls over these two girls, super cute girls who are dressed up, look like they just came from the club and everything, and he's just giving them a hard time. He's, like, looking around. He, you could tell he's up to some shady shit. He keeps asking them, oh, is that what it was? He yeah, used yeah. the taillight. See? That's what, I was just telling Justin, I got a speeding ticket the other day in the you new do. car. <laughs> it's easy to do. I, I fucking had this car for a month. It's easy to do when you're not used to yeah. driving above the speed limit. So I got pulled over like on that cut through road to the uh, to the airport. I was going 40, 47 and a thirty. Oh, uh, he took uh, he took, took uh, pity on he took pity on me and didn't put the number of the ticket in there. So I only have it. It's only one hundred and fifty dollars. So as far as tickets goes, that's the you kind of that's the low end of it. So I'll, I'll gladly pay that and take the four hour damn course. But the points I would get you. But, uh, well, and that was my, my point with this is, uh, like with the taillight, uh, the cop had told me that it's illegal in Florida to have my tag in the back window. 
And I had no clue. He's like, yeah, you have to have it in a bracket on a, in a frame on the thing. So I have it on there now. Uh, uh, but that's how I and I was explaining it. Same with the taillight. You know, those types of laws, I think, are just excuses to pull people mm-hmm. over. You know, uh, it, when they want to check for warrants or they want to check for whatever. Uh, I think that's what they use. And that's exactly what he used for this. So the taillight's pulled over. He pulls her over. And he's basically, you, you kind of get the idea that he, he just wants to rob them or ask him if he uh, uh, if they've done drugs. So he's asking him these super uncomfortable questions. I, and I don't know where the cut version starts and the R-rated version, so I'm just going to talk about the uncut version here. And so he keeps asking him, he says, have you ever done any drugs? You got any drugs on you? Uh, ha- have, you ever, uh, ha- have you ever sucked dick? That was like the main thing he kept asking him. <laughs> have you ever sucked dick? And they're like uncomfortable. And he's like, and they're like, what is this? What can, can, can we go? And they were like, you're like, you're not going anywhere. He's like, it, and he says, I could take you to jail right now for that. Do you want to go to jail? Do you want me to uh, place all these charges on you and everything for stuff you may or may not have done? And the, the, he, was, he was like, you do something for me, I do something for you. You, you, you help me out, I help you out. And that is actually where, where, he, where they cut the scene, where he was they asking just them to, to do something for them. They had done something for him. Yeah. But what he wanted them to do was so strange. It was very weird. And it was very weird. And so he tells the driver... Uh, no, he, first he tells the passenger, he says, I want you to turn around and I want you to show me your ass. So that's all she did in the scene is the passenger turns around. She's wearing like a thong. She lifts her, her skirt up and her ass is just prominent right there in the passenger seat. Now for the driver, he says, I want you to show me how you suck dick. And he <laughs> just has her mouth. He literally just has her mouth uh, like she's sucking. Uh, sucking it sounds like Harvey face. Keitel had ul- ulterior interest by having his babysitter be in the scene. I think he wanted to. This wasn't the original scene, too. They talked about it on one of the uh, documentaries that I heard that originally when it was a Christopher Walken scene, when Christopher Walken was involved in the movie, just he pulled these probably. girls over. <laughs> Well, no, that's what it was. He he ends up partying with them. They they, they he ends up partying with them, and they show them uh, uh, partying early in the morning outside the car, like uh, and they're having a good time and they're drinking from bottles and everything. In the Harvey Keitel version, he has this one girl showing to the ass. He's got the other girl simulating oral sex, and during the scene, Harvey Keitel is rapidly jerking off. And they're doing it cleverly in a way where you can't see. You can see his hand moving, but you can't see it happening. And I swear that back in the day, and I I should mention this. I didn't mention this until now. I watched this movie with mom back in the day. (laughs) We watched watched it on uh, the other version. Well, we watched it. uh, Yeah, this was the uncut version we watched. We watched it on Park Street together, uh, and everything. And I was like, "Whoa!" And uh, Dad would yeah, it went through the movie, movie. and we were like, "Oh no!" Dad freaked out when Reservoir. Dad flipped out when I had Reservoir. And you were in your twenties afterwards. He had a oh god, he flipped out. He wanted it out of the house. I was like, "Jesus, okay." Uh, Back in the day, I remember him actually finishing on the on the window, and I. I didn't see that happen here, so I'm not sure if there's a third version here, but I, maybe my mind just went there. That that's <laughs> the version you wanted to see? And everything. <laughs> maybe, I guess. But, so, the scene is wild. It's wild, man. And it really did uh, add to the movie, though, to show you how fucked up this guy is. 
and at, at this point he's so far gone he doesn't give a shit he's shooting up massive amounts he's he's like i said he's he's prancing around in his ho- house uh, naked wish with empty bottles he started he's, having he's, hallucinations remember when he was went back to the church to ask for forgiveness and then he like thought one of the homeless guys was jesus and he's like kissing his feet uh, it's crazy because he he goes and he talks to the nun who was raped and he can't figure out to, for his life how she forgave these kids. She she openly says, "I forgive them. They were they they're they're good kids. They were just confused. They didn't know what they were doing. I forgive them." That's kind of I mean, if you're a nun, that's kind of your whole thing, and it drives him nuts. He keeps telling and he keeps coming back to her and he says, "How is it? How can you forgive these kids? What if they do it to somebody else?" And and she, he can't wrap his head around it. He just can't do it. And like you said, he starts having visions of Jesus. He's got visions of uh, the the homeless guy. Coming over, does the homeless guy stab him or something at the point? I don't uh, think so. At one point, I, I think something happens with the homeless guy inside the church, but I cannot remember what it was. I must have blocked it out. He has the but chalice. The, the big scene at the end. Oh, that's right. He's got the chalice. That's right. That's what happened, and that's what kind of uh, makes him realize who the uh, guys were that raped the, uh, the nun. So he finds the two guys. Another uncomfortable scene. He he goes to their to their like. You couldn't even call it a house or an apartment. It's basically a squatting place where these uh, heroin acts are. And he busts in, and he sits next to them, and he sends one of the I other people that were in the room out of there. Absolutely. Didn't he have them smoke crack? Yeah, he has them smoke his own crack. <laughs> That's what's crazy. Uh, Harvey Keitel sits down with these guys, and, and you know, oh, he found the guys that raped the nun. What is he going to do to these guys? And he, all of a sudden, he takes like this makeshift pipe out, and he starts smoking their crack, and then he says he shakes his head, and he's like, "This stuff is garbage. Here, let's smoke this." And the the crack addicts are actually excited for a second. He's like, "Oh, I thought this guy's gonna do some horrible shit to us. We've been found out." But no, he just wants to smoke crack with us. So he smokes crack with them, and then what he does is he he realizes the nun's not going to press charges or anything. So what he does is he takes them to the bus station and puts them on the bus gives them like $5,000 and says, get the fuck out of my city, which is Do you think he did that because he had for himself. a, like, an appreciation for the nun, not, not like, she, he wouldn't want her to, to just kill, she wouldn't want him to just kill these guys. I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. It's like his one speckle of uh, redemption that he's going to have that maybe if he gets these two pieces of shit out of the city that they won't do it uh, uh, to somebody, at least in New York anymore, but they'll do it someplace else. And then talk about a, a, a somber ending, too. So we're, we see him in traffic, uh, and all of a sudden somebody just drives up. And Was it like a shotgun or something like that? No, or was it, it just was a regular handgun. gun? Do we even two know? Two shots. Was a handgun. Just, just drives up and boom, boom, shoots Harvey Keitel in the face. Sitting in his uh, in his car, was he listening to the game or something? Here's on the, on the trivia the car? Was he- for this scene. So it's a wide shot. I think he's actually parked, and yeah. I I don't know what I don't know what he's doing. You know, he's obviously spiraled out of control, but he probably even thought this might be a possibility because yeah, you know, he yeah, basically yeah. told the he- the bookie, you know, fuck you bef- on the last bet. You know, book me another bet or you or you know, you'll never see this money type of attitude. So they probably were going to kill him anyways. But the weird thing was, if you watch this scene again, watch the people that are all around the car. It's almost like he did this gorilla style and someone drove up and 
fired blanks at Harvey Keitel, and then Harvey Keitel collapsed, and everybody on the street, like some people started looking in a little bit, other people, and then told other people, and then other people just kept walking. It was a very New York moment. Like, that if if he got it, if he had people do that, if that was scripted, then that was brilliant background acting, because it was, uh, it's quite a scene. It just holds on that, on that wide frame of the car. You can't you can't even see Harvey Keitel. You can just kind of see something slumped over, and people are just no one's screaming. Yeah, you can nothing. tell that what happens. They had that one woman. I think it was like a, a tiny little Asian woman mm-hmm. that kept walking up towards the car and then walking backwards and and like talking to other people to kind of get them to notice what she noticed and everything. So I think you're right. No, knowing Abel Ferrer's kind of gorilla attitude, I would not be surprised at all if that's how he did it. Because like they said, he he didn't have permission to film any of these places i mean and i can uh i I can appreciate that from filmmakers like us who who tried to do that as much as possible we got caught several times in locations we shouldn't have been in and we got kicked out but i mean you have to have balls when you're an independent filmmaker and realize hey we get kicked out of here we just go to someplace else and do it whatever zach and uh the other guy who played the other cop with zach bryant they got pulled over in that fake police car at pretending to be cops And getting ready to drive to the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we had the walking scene at the police station. Remember we wanted a scene where they were walking through the police station between cop cars and the cops caught uh, uh, that camera operator and said, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. What the hell are you even doing in here? And then we ended up we ended up doing it at the Gainesville Sun instead. We were like, ah, whatever, we won't use the cop cars. We'll just use it as undercover cars and everything. Yeah. You have to have balls the size of uh, uh, walnuts to be able to fucking uh, pull off all that uh, the indie stuff to be able to do it. You know, I mean, the one thing that I'm always proud of is we went in airplanes. And we shit. Got, we talked some dude into bringing his own sniper rifle up on the roof of a college town. Uh, <laughs> we are Abel Ferreira. <laughs> no, we are Abel Ferreira. I mean, come on, would you, would you even do that nowadays? Like, or even think about oh, doing man. that nowadays? Hell no. No, we did we did some shady shit that you were not allowed to. I mean, we at least had the knowledge that we did it on a place that wasn't overlooking a bank. Because remember, we saw yeah, that yeah, yeah. one top of the building we were going to do it on. We were like, well, there's a bank over there. Maybe a high-powered rifle on top of there is probably not a good idea. I mean, it's not a good idea anywhere. They wouldn't have let us do it otherwise. But, uh, hey, it's on film. Go check it out on YouTube. Silent Dove. You could, you could see us uh, busting out uh, stuff. But, yeah, we I think we got a little bit more... Uh, well, once we got more insurance and everything, we got a little bit more let's ask permission to do this type of thing mentality. But, yeah, up to that, we were kind of doing what we had to do. So I appreciate all these uh, these indie directors, man, and this is what makes this movie a really kind of fantastic watch. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. Uh, 75% of the people who watch Bad Lieutenant are not going to be happy with it. But the other 25%, uh, I mean, they're going to enjoy the hell out of it. Were you a fan of this back in the day? I was. Do you remember watching it back in the I day? Did. Yeah, it was like uh, these indie movies, especially in the 90s, they got popular with that. People were like, and, and the internet wasn't uh, wasn't booming. Like when Bad Lieutenant came out in 92, unless you knew another major movie fanatic who told you, hey, have you seen that Bad Lieutenant Man movie? That movie's fucked up. Then you will have no idea. I remember introducing Reservoir Dogs to tons of people and everything before the internet and and everything, and uh, all those indie movies. <clears throat> like, I remember when we 
when we first saw Donnie Darko and we first saw uh, Boondock Saints was another one that those were all word of mouth movies that were that were done and were really fantastic. So if you want to check out Bad Lieutenant, check it on Tubi. I, I warn you, you're going to have to watch the uncensored one. So there might be a, ver- a way you can watch it. Uh, I don't know if it's on YouTube or not. Uh, or I don't know how uh, easy the DVD is to get, but DVD is probably the surefire way that you're going to get the uncensored version. Uh, but if you just want to watch Harvey Keitel go crazy, then uh, you could definitely check that out with Tubi. But it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's Bad Lieutenant. Final thoughts on Bad Lieutenant? Worth seeing. Definitely indie movie. If you if you're in indie movies. If- the, the scenes don't look like they had a lot of lighting in and they just they probably made up according to some of the trivia I saw 60% of the stuff they just made up on set they had like 60 yeah. pages in the script it is a very New York movie too you know people are uh, I know a lot of people just are love New York movies and they will watch anything that takes place in New York this is a good version of that where you want to uh, see the gritty gritty side of New York that they're not going to sugarcoat things where, where it, it, it's there's something to say about a movie that when you see someone drew drugs in the movie that chances are they're actually doing those drugs <laughs> that last scene was shot right in front of Trump uh, casino oh was it yeah the door, you could see in the background yeah. the name his name right above the door they they probably that's funny he probably like, I gotta be in that movie or you can't shoot <laughs> yeah that's how I hope Trump goes out sitting in a car in front of his Trump Plaza uh. getting shot in the head. <laughs> Paul said that. No, oh wait, huh? I might have Paul see, said that. I might have the Secret Service officer. Yeah. Technically, he's still an ex-president, right? <laughs> Paul said that, not me. Uh, the Secret Service, Secret Service is pretty laxed with that type of stuff. So, uh, well, we got some fun stuff coming up in the next couple weeks. I'm going to try to do this same type of uh, scenario where we're doing these uh, this uh, pod over the. Uh, we'll see how this one turns out and how the audio comes out. And if it turns out good, we'll we'll do this again on times where we can't meet up face to face or when I want to do a do podcast one with, with video Eric. one time. I mean, you won't be able to drop it on. Yeah, we could. On we could do it on YouTube as like a special, mm-hmm. you know, just like a special fascinating with films uh, YouTube video. Yeah, that would be kind of fun uh, because I definitely want to do uh, one of Eric's favorite movies is the movie, the nineteen sixty seven uh, movie Spider Baby, which is a fucked up movie with uh, with Long Chaney Jr. and Sid Haig. And I just recently watched it and it made my fantastic list. I was blown away by it. Uh, I, I thought it was going to be dated, but it, it has like a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre feel with a bunch of inbred weird kids living on their own on a farm, and uh, they, they start killing people, and it, it's just a wild one. So I, I want to do that pod with uh, with Eric coming up. So stay tuned. We'll be doing some Spider Baby. I know me and Justin got some uh, some cool ones coming up. I'm going to do one. Uh, Justin's got his new, uh, new house. He's out there, and uh, uh, you would know this, Dave. No he lives like five minutes from uh, five minutes from Chapinis, mm-hmm. so that's where he lives. So I'm gonna go out there, I think, for the next pod, and I'm gonna do the uh, the pod with him and check out the house. So I'm not sure what we're gonna do yet, but we'll let you know. We're gonna uh, this last pod that we just dropped, the Sidekicks one. I didn't give everyone much notice before I dropped it. It was like. Hey, watch Sidekicks, and then two hours later, I drop the uh, the pod. But I usually like to give everyone like a week's notice if they want to watch the uh, the movie on Tubi, so they can uh, so we feel good about coming in on these pods and spoiling the shit out of them. Since we've uh, already told people, hey, watch them first. So we'll let you know what pods are coming up, and they'll definitely be good ones. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of us, you can check us out fastnamefilms at gmail dot com. Or you could uh, leave us a like or a comment on our two platforms, SoundCloud or iTunes. Or you could just go to Facebook where you could see the uh, the uh, collages we throw up there about the uh, 
uh, movies we're going to be talking about. Uh, but yeah, we get some exciting stuff coming up. But until next week, see ya. Bye. You know, I, I told you once before that this guy will come by your house and blow your house up with your wife and kids and everybody. You know, good, right? good. Give him an extra ten grand for his trouble.